Now, I'm pretty sure that you can't remember the first sermon I preached here in Connor six years ago, or nearly six years ago when I arrived. And I'm not going to embarrass myself or any of you by putting you on the spot and telling, and you telling me what it was that I preached on. But in God's Word, in Acts chapter 2, we hear the first sermon preached in the New Testament church, and it's a really memorable message. Turn with me again, please, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and to that sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost, that day when the Lord gave the believers in Christ the Holy Spirit. Over the past few weeks, we have returned again to the book of Acts. And remember that the book of Acts tells the story of the continuing work of Jesus. Even though Jesus had risen from the dead and He had ascended to be with His Father in heaven, He was still very much with His church and active in His church. And the same is true today for the church of Jesus Christ. And we have started to look at the next section of this book that begins in chapter 13. It's the next part of the story. It tells the story of the gospel spreading and the church expanding far beyond the city of Jerusalem. But today, we are going backwards. Today, in preparation for meeting around the Lord's table in just a while in our service, I want us to return back to chapter 2 and to focus on just a few verses that help us to understand what it is that we're remembering as we join together at the Lord's table today. And that sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is a really good sermon to think about. It provides a template for preachers like me to follow when we open up God's Word. Indeed, it's a really good example of what you should expect to hear when you come to a church, whether it be this one or anyone. And that's because this was a sermon that was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's natural that this is the kind of sermon that Peter would have preached. After all, Peter was a witness of these things. As a follower of Jesus, he saw for himself what it was that Jesus did. He heard for himself all of the things that Jesus taught. But beyond that, on this particular day, Peter was preaching in a different kind of way. This was the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and Peter that day was preaching in a Spirit-filled way. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the thing about the Holy Spirit is that He always points people to Jesus. That is His great job, so that when He empowers preachers to speak from God's Word, if He is truly doing that, then they, in turn, will point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to see in our church, that every time God's Word is opened up, every time God's Word is taught, whether that's by me up here at the front in the pulpit, or whether it's in Sunday school or Bible class, or any other opportunity that we have 
to teach God's Word in this place that it really is all about Jesus. We must make much of Jesus in this place and in the life of our church. And today, I want us to focus on just three verses in Peter's sermon that really point us to the truth about Christ. And then I want us to think about the response that there was that day to this Christ-centered message that Peter preached. So, the first of the verses, verse 22, look at this verse with me again. Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And some of you who work in offices, maybe in Belfast or, or elsewhere, you know what accreditation is all about. It's the, the document or the, the badge or the pass that gets you access to the place where you should be. Accreditation shows other people that we are who we actually claim to be. And Peter uses that word in his sermon. He, he speaks about Jesus being accredited by God. In other words, Jesus, by the miracles that He does, proves that He really is who He claims to be, that He is God's Son sent by Him with all of the authority of God. And what we're about to discover is that despite all that Jesus did, despite the way in which God proved the identity of His Son through the miracles that Jesus performed, many, many people did not believe in Him. They did not accept the truth about the Lord Jesus. And I simply ask today, what about you? And if you have not yet bowed the knee before Jesus and believed in Him, well, then the big question, what will it take for you to believe in Jesus? For He has shown us who He is by what He said and by all that He's done. But then the second verse, and it's the following verse, verse 23, because Peter continues, he says of Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, just before we get into the specifics of what Peter is saying in this verse, given the time and the society that we live in, it's really worth noting that Peter had the courage to say this to people who would not want to hear this message. And I wonder today, do we as individuals, do we as a church have the courage to speak the truth of the gospel to people who will not want to hear it and who will not want to accept its message? But today for us, as people of faith, for those who, by your participation in this sacrament in a few moments, are declaring the trust that you have in the Lord, this is such a wonderful verse to consider, because it's a verse that points us 
to the great truth about our God and what He is like. I want you to consider two realities about God that are presented by Peter in this verse, and they're two realities that should give us huge comfort as His people. First of all, it's a verse that testifies to the Lord's power, because He was able to take the schemes of those who were opposed to His rule, those who were against His Son's kingdom, and He was able to use their schemes to bring about His great rescue plan as His Son Jesus went to the cross and died for sinners like us there. Think about that, that through the plotting of the enemies of God, God used all of that to redeem His people through the blood of His Son. That's the great act of sacrifice that we remember today. This is the power of God, the ability that He has. But alongside that, in this verse, Peter also testifies to the Lord's mercy, because Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being crucified, lets us see the extent of God's love for us. We think of the words of another apostle, John, words that we thought about and read on Wednesday evening at our pre-communion. And if you look at them now in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10, and John says, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And he continues, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And with those words in mind, if we come back to verse 23 here in Acts chapter 2, in one sentence, Peter points us to God's power and mercy in Christ. And in this church, we often say, I often preach that for us as God's people in Christ, these two great truths about the Lord are such a cause for hope. He is able to make a difference. He has a sovereign power, a control that is beyond our imagination, so that He not only can thwart the plans of His enemies, He can take those plans and use them for His glory and our good. And not only that, He desires to make a difference, and we see this ultimately at the cross where He gave His Son for us. So today, are you hopeful and thankful as you come to this table? What burdens are you carrying to the table today? And all of us will have some kind of burden that we have arrived at, that we have arrived with here at church today. Well, remember what it is that we sing with the children, that Jesus is strong and kind, and He wants to, and He can lift your burden today as you come to Him at this table. And this is why we describe the message of Jesus as being the gospel. And, and Peter summarizes this good news message about Jesus 
in verse 36. Listen to what he says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And today, if you want to get back to basics, if you want to figure out what ultimately the gospel is all about and what your Christian faith boils down to, here it is in this verse, two things side by side. Start by understanding this about the Lord Jesus, that He is both Lord and Christ. He's the Lord who is above all things and all people, and He's the Christ, the Savior, who gave His life for this world that He is in control of. So, therefore, we make much of Jesus. It really is the case, as John the Baptist talked about, that He must become greater and we must become less. Of Jesus, we say that He must increase and I must decrease. And as Peter preached this incredible message about Jesus, what was the, the response to this message? Because what we get to see at the end of that sermon is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, requires a response. That sounds so obvious, doesn't it? And yet many of us here today would long to see a loved one, a family member, a friend, make a proper response to the gospel, and we continue to pray for them. And some of us here today who are about to take this sacrament know that our story is one of resisting the gospel, that for such a long time we did not make the right response to the good news of Jesus. So, what is the impact of Peter's preaching that day? Well, Luke tells us in verse 37 that the people who heard this were cut to the heart. The gospel cuts deep. In other words, it has a big impact on people's lives as the Word goes out and as the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts and their minds. And this has to be a work of the Holy Spirit as it was on that day. And this deep impact that the gospel has is demonstrated in the question that they ask. They ask frantically, brothers, what shall we do? And it's such an important question, and it gets to the heart of how every one of us needs to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our first response must be that confession, we need help, I need help because there was real urgency in this question. What can we do? Because after all, these people have just been told by Peter that they put to death God's Messiah, God's chosen one, God's own Son. No wonder there's that sense of, of, of despair and fright. What can we do? What shall we do? So, what is the right response? Well, in our lives, when we realize 
that we too are enemies of the living God. That's our status because of our sin. Then the right response can be summarized in just two words, to turn and trust. Look at what Peter said to them in verse 38. He tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So, Peter talks about those two parts to the response. The first part is to turn, or to use that Bible word that Peter uses, repent. And this is a turning away from sin and living for self. It is a turning back to God. And it's required in the lives of all of us because of the reality of sin. What can we say about repentance? Well, it's not just a moment. It is a way of life. It's more than just saying in our mind that we repent. It also requires real action. And it's not just feeling sad about the consequences of our sin, because that's merely regret. No, true repentance, Spirit-given repentance, is demonstrated by a genuine hatred of sin that says, I want nothing more to do with that sin again. I want to obey Christ instead. And hearing that today, does that then, as you approach this table, call you to action? Is repentance a feature of your life as a disciple? Because it ought to be. But then the other word is trust. Peter tells the crowd to be baptized, and that is much more than just a religious ceremony. It is an indication of something that has happened in their hearts, of something that lies within. It's their public declaration of this new faith, this trust that they have in the Lord Jesus, trusting that He is who He says He is, trusting that He's the only one who can make them right with God, trusting that His death is the only way of finding forgiveness for sins. And people, as we finish off, this is the right response. In fact, it is the only response that there can be to the good news about Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, is this your response? And the amazing thing at the end is that this life that the Lord calls His people to, this life of repentance and faith in Christ is one that He equips you for. Because right at the end, in verse 38, the promise comes from Peter as he tells the people to turn and to trust, he adds, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we come to this table today, as we come to remember what it is that the Lord has done for sinful people like us, as we come rededicating ourselves to be people who will turn to and trust in Christ, that is a good thing for us to hear today that such a response, 
And such a life is possible by the Spirit of the living God. May it be the feature of your life as you come to this sacrament and as you go from this table today to live for Him, grateful for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen.